0: I hope that as you are uh, worshiping with us tonight, that your heart is not distracted. And in this sermon series, Let It Rain, uh, our main intention behind this sermon series is to point out that God is still in control. He is still in control. And, and in the latter half of, of this section of the Beatitudes, or, or the first part of of this chapter, chapter 5, Christ says these very enigmatic words, this uh, prophetic and valued statement. For God reigns on the just and the unjust. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. And maybe The narrative of what you and I have been seeing, listening to, and experiencing for the past several months, we're not real excited about God paying attention to the unjust, are we? We'd rather have it that um, they get what's coming to them. Well, it's fascinating, Jesus didn't hold that. God has a different plan, thank thank you Lord, than, than we would hold in our own hearts because of Wounds, because of scars, because of uh, persecution. And so tonight, that is our message. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray and ask that God would give us insight into what he has for us out of his word tonight. Father, you have given us all good things. You have given us your word to instruct us to heal, to equip us for every good thing. But now, Lord, I ask that you move beyond the barriers that we have and that your spirit illuminates this message in its accuracy according to your son's words, but specifically in accuracy of application to each person that's going to listen. Move mightily beyond all expectation, God. Move mightily beyond my weaknesses. To you be glory. Amen. There's three things I want us to think about tonight. Persecution, obviously, because that's where we're at. That's what we're looking at. And and we'll get to the verse in just a second. But I want us to look at persecution in relation to justification and magnify at the end the idea of sanctification. And we'll wrap that up in a minute. Um, This idea also of persecution, uh, you could look at this concept of personification. Now what do I mean by that? The idea of taking on an image that isn't necessarily authentic or true or integrous to who I am or to who you are. How many of us are tired of being lied to? How many of us are worn out from broken promises? How many of us feel a little disillusioned by the experts around us today? We hear one thing, then we hear contradictory statements on another level. And many of you may be thinking, I'm talking about the the health departments. I might actually, in fact, be talking about the pulpits in America. You see, historically, we as a people have often personified not Christ, but we have personified the argument of the day. We'll get to that in a little bit through a little a little journey we're going to take tonight. A little bit of a of a uh, moving away from my typical form of preaching into some storytelling tonight. We're going to look at two different lives lived with two different approaches. And at the end, we'll let you decide which one you value more, which one Christ values more. But let me ask this question. How bad has it gotten for you? Some of you may have lost your jobs. Some of you may have actually contracted COVID-19, the vid as they call it. Some of you may know individuals that have actually passed away, and you are in mourning from this. This is a very serious challenge for the entire world, and yet, is God in control? This is a great question in light of whenever we have to struggle with persecution. But I would propose through two different lives tonight that we'll examine, That there is persecution, and then there's the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Remember that much of what Jesus says here in the Beatitudes is impossible for you and I. At the very end of this section, he says, be perfect as your Father is perfect. He realizes that we can't really truly accomplish this in its greatest form, and that's where we get to the idea of sanctification. But when we look at the idea of what Jesus is actually doing, He's foreshadowing exactly how He will move through His ministry on earth and demonstrate every single one of these beatitudes. And not to be given away and not to be excused or dismissed, He was the personification with all integrity. He set the bar when it comes to being persecuted for righteousness' sakes. So let's go back to it. How bad has it gotten for you? What about your job? What about your health? What about the pandemic? I just heard. No, I don't. I haven't heard anything. That's called suspense, folks. That's just to get you really excited. I haven't heard anything. And everybody has their own theories about when this is going to be over and, and when it's never going to. We just heard some, somebody from the WHO said we got two years to go. Doesn't that make you feel great? Two more years, only two years, you can do it. Do you feel persecuted for being stuck in your house? Do you feel persecuted for having to wear a mask around? Do you feel persecuted because you can't get the proper health care that you need? Do you feel persecuted because your views are scrutinized by people on social media? What about violence all around us? We've seen how our country has erupted in violence. And I would think that God sits and shakes his head in shame again and again and again because of the violence that isn't just accepted, it is promoted. Now, is that violence happening to individuals who are being persecuted? Are we being persecuted for, and here it is, the sake of being persecuted, because we, we personify the very thing that people want to be violent towards, we're going to take a stand. Many of you have seen that happening around the United States, and on street corners you've got one group, and then another group rallies together, they get on their phones and they text each other, hey, meet, you know, and, and make sure you wear your mask, and all this stuff, and they go out and they're going to stand up against this other group. And I'm not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. That's standing up for your rights. That's standing up for uh, justice, maybe on both ends. But my question is is this the persecution Jesus Christ is talking about? What about church? You know, that's been in the headlines a lot lately being persecuted as a church. I would have to ask do we really feel persecuted? There are those that feel persecuted because our our state officials have said, hey, we can't meet right in this room right now. We've got individuals sitting here that are masked up. We have individuals that we had to say, hey, because of health reasons and because of lightning strikes, that's probably a good reason, right? Because of lightning strikes, we can't meet outside tonight. And because of unhealthy air, it is starting to get a little cataclysmic. But there are individuals that are rallying around leaders within the church who have stood up against the state or our federal government and said, we will continue to meet regardless because we will not allow the state to dictate what we're doing. The state does not dictate the Scriptures. The state does not dictate God's Gospel. Amen? I 100% believe that and hold to it. The question I have will be solved through a straw man argument tonight. How much are we really persecuted as the church? Part of me wonders if God isn't doing this to weed out the church. You see, all I have to do is look in my scripture and look at the history of Israel And with the history of Israel, we see a people that continually turn their back on God, and God says, that isn't good enough for me. And so I'm going to get your attention one way or the other. And if I have to make things difficult for you, and if I have to take away your sacrifices or your ability to sacrifice, if I have to uh, make things difficult and put you in subjection down in Egypt, or in Babylonia or Persia, I will do whatever it takes in order that your hearts will turn back to me. My question for the church is simply this. We don't need to meet in a building to be the church. Amen? We can find different ways to get the Word of God out, and we're doing that right now. Where I would say we desperately need to be together is in different moments in creative ways where we can minister to one another and to the gospel it's my privilege i'm going to steal a little thunder from our youth ministries so they met this past week and they were creative they've usually been meeting outdoors but this week they had a plan and because of the the unhealthy level there was a frustration by our leadership that almost a sense of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because they knew what God had laid on their hearts to bring to our students. They knew it was important. They knew it was of great value. And yet, we're having all this fragmented discussion about youth groups off, youth groups on, youth groups off, youth groups on, and and the texts are flying, and the emails are going, and and who knows what's going to go on. But I'm very, very proud of our leadership because they felt the conviction to follow through with what they believed was righteous, what was right in God's eyes. The result of that night was a new person in the kingdom and an incredible and valuable and nurturing spiritual prayer time with our young people. My question is this, While our young people are responding powerfully to meeting for the sake of prayer and the power of the gospel in changing lives, if I had a prayer meeting this coming Wednesday, how many of the persecuted church would show up for prayer? I think part of what's happening here is a wake-up call to the church. How many individuals would be wherever God's people are gathered for the sake of the gospel, legally, healthily, if that's a word. Maybe there's a little bit of God's chastisement and admonishment because the American church has gotten so used to church being a place where we come sit in comfortable seats, we have great air conditioning, we have a great show that goes on. And then we go back to our buffets, Chick-fil-A, watching pure flicks, listening to Wren Collective, putting the bumper stickers on our car, and playing Jesus. But when it comes to being persecuted for righteousness, maybe that's a little too hard. I'm extremely proud of our student ministry staff who said we are going to find a way because God's going to move tonight. It's not about any leader's agenda, it was about what God was doing and facilitating that meeting within the instructions of the state. The gospel will move on, amen? Let's get to our scripture. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the pattern that we've been moving through over uh, the past few weeks in this series, the Let It Rain series, is that I'll talk about the particular beatitude and and we'll break down each word. So nobody leaves uh, with some sense of confusion as to exactly what Jesus is saying here. Number one, blessed. And so we define blessed, this statement uh, by Jesus, that if this, you will be blessed. What does blessed mean? If he's asking us to do these really hard, really difficult things, wouldn't I want to know what blessed means? You know, blessed in our society has been stripped down. While I would argue that it is exactly what everybody longs for, desperately, if blessed is determined this way or defined this way, the idea of overwhelmingly satisfied and content, regardless of your circumstances. Now, the challenge and the tension in these Beatitudes is Jesus says, You are going to be overwhelmingly satisfied and content, regardless of your circumstances if you do this really impossible thing (laughs) how's that work wait a minute i don't know that that's a that's a hard trade-off but then he also gives a result which is not just will you be blessed here on earth will you be able to in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of the violence in the middle of an asteroid coming for us in the middle of going to the pantry and there's no more frosted flakes That regardless of all of that, I can be overwhelmingly satisfied. That's pretty fantastic, isn't it? But wait, there's more. It's an King commercial, right? Wait, there's more. There is the promise that as a result of letting God do this work in each follower of Christ, that pursuing the idea of being persecuted for righteousness there's the result of the kingdom of heaven that is the blessing so let's get to the persecuted idea persecuted for righteousness and the best way for me to describe this is this idea to press after right in modern vernacular we would call it bullying have you ever been bullied i remember i remember these two guys on the bus when i was in fourth grade you ever have the flick on the back of the ear the flick on the back so i would move seats And guess what they would do? They would move seats so they could just keep flicking me on the back of the ear. You know why that was happening? Because my mom was their English teacher. Don't ever go to the same school where your mom's the teacher. Doesn't work out for you very well on the school bus. But they were just relentless in their pursuit. So it's this idea to press after, to pursue, to persecute with suffering. Another idea that fits with the the root of this Greek word is the idea to follow. And we we also find the, the root of this Greek word kind of connected to the idea of following Christ. It's almost a sense of assuming that if we choose to follow Christ, there will be what? There will be persecution. There will be persecution. The best thing that I can do at this point is help you understand That the first and primary personification of this idea is simply Jesus Christ. You need to turn nowhere else. That should be your first focus, is look at the life of Jesus Christ. Here he predicts it outside the scope of his persecution. But he is going to lead into it step by step by step. And not just for the sake of making a name for himself. Not for any particular personal agenda. But for the glory of the kingdom. And see, this is why Jesus says, for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because He says over and over, while His ministry on earth is is unfurling and His journey keeps going on, I am about My Father's will. My Father's business. I can do nothing other than the will of the Father. And the will of the Father would be that the Son of Man should suffer much. Jesus was hunted, and he was killed. But the promise comes to him, and he was exalted. Philippians 2, that under the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and everyone will proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In this same fashion, Jesus extends this promise to us that through His power, if we keep our focus on righteousness and if our persecution comes as a result of righteousness, we are participating. We're not bench players. We're participating in the kingdom. But I feel like maybe I'm lacking in helping us understand. We, we all get the pandemic. We all get the violence. We all get the, the challenges and opinions throughout churches. We all get what's in front of us. So I thought tonight I would take you out of that. Often in order to really help someone learn something, you have to remove them out of the, the, the fog that is surrounding them. So I want to take you back in history and look at two individuals that I learned about, Over the past 20 years, I was first introduced to these individuals probably 15 to 18 years ago. I'd heard of one 20 years ago, but didn't really study his life until recently, at least in depth. And I was just compelled to share with you these two individuals to paint this picture. First of all, remember, the idea is that Jesus is the personification of what this title is. So if we really truly want to capture this, if we truly want to be blessed for being persecuted for righteousness, not our own agenda, we need to look no further than Jesus Christ. But sometimes that's a little hard to relate to, right? Because we say, well, that's Jesus. So let me help you and show you two individuals from antiquity. The first one is Gurulamo Savonarola. right, did I say that with some good Italian accent? Girolamo Savonarola. So this is where I tell a story like the Princess Bride. I'm not going to do my Peter Falk imitation, but I am going to sit down, and you should sit down as well, and let me introduce you to someone who at one time was a hero of the faith to me. Girolamo Savonarola was a highly influential person, and some of you have heard of the effects of his ministry and his work without even knowing who this is. I'm just going to poll the ten people in front of me. Have any of you heard Savonarola's name before? Oh, this is going to be good. All right. Well, buckle up, folks. Some of you are Googling it right now. Stop. Just listen. Just listen. Get off your phones. Get off your computers, unless you're watching this on computer. My connection and admiration for Savonarola uh, is connected to ministry. He was a Dominican friar from Florence, Italy uh, in the late 15th century. He became a vassal for the church and served mostly in rural communities surrounding Florence for the better part of 20 years. I like that idea. I like that idea. My wife and I had the blessed opportunity when we first moved up to Northern California uh, we sold our house in Southern California. We paid off our, our stuff. We bought new underwear and we went on an anniversary trip to, to Italy. And uh, no regrets with either of those decisions. And, uh, and I remember my target was, we, we decided to go to Florence because I wanted to see this place. I wanted to see where Savonarola was martyred. And it was this big highlight for me. And I remember that There is a medallion, a stone medallion, the Piazza de la something. And uh, it is literally a hundred feet from the Uffizi. Now you have hundreds, sometimes thousands of people a day line up to get into the Uffizi, which holds some of the most incredible art ever made. And, And much of the art that was made in the Renaissance period in Florence. And nobody notices this medallion. And yet, history tells us some of the most important things concerning art and concerning Christ and concerning suffering. There's a lesson to be learned from this monument. So he became a vassal for the church and served mostly in rural communities surrounding Florence for the better part of 20 years. He was a nobody. He was a flunky. He he was somebody that the church just said, you know, you got to go do dead guy duties. Alright? And and and, you know, we'll leave the we'll leave the big stuff here in St. Marco's or or the domo to the professionals. Fascinating way that God brought him around and circumvented the process. Through circumstance or divine guidance, Savonarola eventually was needed in Florence and out of necessity to do pulpit supply (laughs) began preaching at St. Marco in the city of Florence. At first, his preaching was very ineffective and underwhelming, but the Lord inspired a work within Fra Giarlamo that became of such importance that many modern-day scholars trace the early part of the Reformation to Savonarola. Soon, he was packing the chapel and his notoriety became well-known for miles. His preaching changed Instead of the common preaching of moving through certain scriptures, he began to address the abuses that he saw around him by the state under the Medicis and by the Pope himself. It's what you call preaching to the choir. Preaching to the masses who felt oppressed by both groups. And they saw the corruption of the Medici family, and they saw the corruption of the Pope, And so Savonarola, feeling emboldened, started to pack the house. He was packing the chapel and his notoriety became well known for miles. Rome was effectually convinced to promote Savonarola to preaching in the Domo of Florence. And he began to transcend the beauty of that edifice with the words of Scripture changing hearts and minds for Christ. So when he started out, he started out with the proper focus... And there was much scripture, and it was very much so about Christ, but there was a change. There was a personification that happened, and his persecution, the origins of that became very interesting. Notice that at this point in time, he wasn't being persecuted. By the way, uh, his message was so effective, so much so that it became a nuisance to the Medici family. Uh, they were the political ruling family and led a revolution of moral sanctity within the great city of the renaissance art he dared to speak out against the medici family who famously funded great artists such as donatello uh, burleski da vinci and michelangelo and many others it was the message against this embracing of the humanistic and celebrated pleasure of the material that savonarola's message connected with the young people of the day There's, Sound familiar? All those that are out on the streets now that are wanting revolution and want to change everything for the better. I will just tell you that there are many oligarchs, there are many dictators, there are many leaders of rebellions that understand that if you want to upturn or turn over something for your advantage, you go through the youth. They know that. And Savonarola knew it as well. His message connected with the young people of the day. As a matter of fact, they received this this, uh, descriptors, this personification called the piagioni, The piagioni, And that means in Italian, the weepers. Because Savonarola's message in the domo, it was packed. There were people hanging in the windows. And his message was continually about sin and corruption and the need for repentance. And it led to this overwhelming sense of weeping within the people of Florence. And initially there was true repentance going on. They were roused to reject all material and worldly effects, and they made bonfires in the Piazza della Sonora, there's the word I was looking for, for the purpose of burning beautiful art, silver chalices, mirrors, women's makeup, anything having to do with vanity and antithetical towards a life of piety and austerity. What does this sound like? I encourage you, I implore you, study the Red Guard in China. I implore you, study how Hitler was able to lead a whole people to a different change. The burning of things. The radical movements to reject the entrapping materialism of our society. And we see it now. We see individuals that feel persecuted because they don't have. And therefore their response is, because I don't have, you shouldn't what? You shouldn't have as well. Leaders know that there will always be an ear to listen to that argument. They're just waiting for a leader to give them permission to move out and persecute those who have. And this is an interesting idea, the the burning of books, the burning of art, the burning of silver chalices or mirrors or, or all of that. We have a story from this that has gone through antiquity. You've heard of the bonfire of the vanities. That's what this story is about. It is about Savonarola and those that he encouraged to raise up and go from door to door throughout the city of Florence and simply confiscate art, silver, materials, bring them into the town square and burn them. You feel persecuted? I'm feeling persecuted by this watch. Fra Savonarola continued to grow at his influence. He became a powerful force against the Medici family and against Rome. He was able to keep Florence from subjection of the invading forces of Charles VIII. France was moving through Europe, it crossed the Alps, and interestingly enough, obviously invading Italy, Rome was against that, and yet Savonarola worked the back channels and met privately with a messenger from Charles, and he was able to keep the peace in Florence. And the people rallied to his leadership and once again the pope and the medici family and the civic authorities felt threatened now by savonarola who was working back channels to his own agenda but before i get there what happened seen as a hero by the people and divinely sent against the corruption of the church of rome And that he refused to acquiesce to the Pope concerning Rome's Holy League and the coalescence of that Holy League, the people rallied around Savonarola again. And so he was given the opportunity to preach and he was emboldened even more. And then the Pope followed through with what the Pope does. The Pope summarily excommunicated Savonarola and demanded audience with him. When Savonarola refused, there was to be a trial. A critic of Fra Savonarola demanded upon his refusal to appear at that trial demanded a trial by fire. That had not happened since the medieval ages. And what would happen in a trial by fire is they would set out hot coals and if the individual accused or being tried could walk across that coal with and survive, then God was with him. Savonarola suddenly got sick on that day and he... Had a problem. He couldn't show up to his trial by fire. And interestingly enough, somebody else stood in, in as his pledge, and they argued continually until it started raining. And some may argue that that was divine providence, but the people no longer rallied around Savonarola. They turned on him. They saw him as weak. They saw him as not following through with his boisterous and demanding call to austerity and humility and and moving away and, and in his, his rejection of Rome and the authority of the civet, uh, authorities around him. Instead, he suddenly got sick. So this became disastrous and disgraceful for Savonarola, and two of uh, his squires, this led the people of Florence to turning on him. Eventually, Guillermo or Guilamo, uh, and his two devoted friars were condemned to be hanged, and then burned at the stake for their defiance against the state and against Rome. On May 23, 1498, he was martyred in the Piazza de Sonora. Savonarolo was persecuted for his faith to the greatest degree. When we're talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake, this story certainly seems to move one. Right when I first read it, I was moved, and and here's the individual whose work against uh, the state and against the corruption of Rome set the platform for the Reformation. Luther, Zwingli, they all pointed back to Savonarola's uh, uh, actions and his effectiveness. Well, let me bring you to the second person I want to show you tonight. So that's one. When we look at this idea of being persecuted. For righteousness sake the other is Watchman Nee. born to Chinese parents in 1903 as Henry knee he became a believer in the kingdom of God at age 17 while in high school and his new life was changed forever as a matter of fact here's a quote from him at that time from the evening I was saved I began to live a new life for the life Of the eternal God had entered into me from 1922 to 1950 he had a powerful ministry and traveled to Europe on invitation of his reputation for a humble but powerful message it was said of watchman need that he spent a third of his money on provision a third of his money on the poor and a third of his money on books he was a prolific and ardent reader and he had this ability, this supernatural ability to retain massive amounts of information, almost like a photographic memory. He could quote scripture on on request. And so he became enamored with writing. Uh, He is uh, heralded with uh, a, a large scope of incredible writings that help propel the church In China. He was keenly focused on the local church. He railed a little bit against denominationalism, and he really truly believed not so much in focusing on the dogma, and even later in life he said, I'm not going to give so much more of my attention to doctrine as much as I am the person of Christ to me christ is everything and for him the connection of christ to the church was all about the local church if you were to do a study today within the local churches in the country of china you would find a majority of them found their roots in watchman knees work his tireless work to promote the gospel to promote christ and to educate people in the gospel. He has 62 volumes called The Collected Works of Watchman I encourage you, if you're looking for some deeper reading, pick that up. Pick that up and let it change your life. He was an ardent messenger about the glory of Jesus Christ and the value of the local church. Following the communist takeover in China in 1952, Watchman knee was arrested and imprisoned. He was to be released after 15 years in 1967 But he died in prison in 1972 Only his wife was allowed to visit him during that time in many of those years He was desperately sick and ill and on death's doorstep He spent a lifetime suffering for his conviction as a matter of fact, during the communist takeover, the reason Watchman Nee and many people like him ended up in prison was because the government came in and interrogated anybody connected, including the elders. And if you, uh, if you gave testimony towards uh, um, the idea of, yes, this person was uh, anti-government, anti-communist, he was a disturber of the peace, you got to go home. But m- many of those who were with Watchman Nee at the beginning and carried through with his ministry, they refused to answer the questions and they ended up going to prison as well and dying there. Persecuted for righteousness. Only his wife, like I said, was allowed to visit while he was in prison. He was not released in 1967, instead, he died in prison in 1972. His wife died a few years prior to that. He was not allowed to go out and see her. He spent a lifetime suffering for his conviction and dedication to the gospel. He was betrayed by his own people in his church who feared more the idea of suffering than the idea of being persecuted for righteousness. The The idea of looking at Watchman Nee is to see an individual who with humble repose counted Christ preeminent. And valued not a stage anywhere, but valued much much more deeply the growth of the church and the love for the local church. He died alone in a prison cell. Now I'm going to go back and I'm going to revisit both people because that's the summation of their lives. Remember what Jesus said here is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And here's the challenge that we have, my friends. As many of us would say we're persecuted, I'm not sure it's because of righteousness sake. There are many things that happen to us that are difficult and challenging. That's just part of life. It's just a general suffering because of sin. It's a completely different thing to suffer for righteousness' sake. How can I clarify this any deeper? Well, I encourage you, reach out to five people you know who do not know who Jesus Christ is and have a conversation with them about the gospel. I have many individuals, both family and friends, that have walked away from me because of my belief in Jesus Christ. That's persecution for righteousness' sake if i just recant if i just soften the message a little bit they would be glad to break bread with me but they see me as the enemy jesus said they hate me and if you if you follow in my steps they'll hate you too you want to know what this beatitude is all about do something this week for righteousness sake it doesn't even have to be the fact that you would promote the gospel to a complete stranger it can simply be doing something out of kindness that puts you in a more difficult position a more challenging position where nobody says thank you or somebody takes advantage of you do you realize all of us took advantage of jesus on the cross we all took advantage of jesus on the cross and yet he freely gave that grace let me revisit these two people so i can just clarify the real or girolamo uh, savonarola <laughs> i've changed my mind as to whether he fits in my pantheon of christian heroes spoiler alert he doesn't when challenged by the pope to stop preaching he did so only when threatened to lose his position His position was more important than the truth against corruption. When he was allowed to preach again, it was to a very small crowd due to the fact that he was not allowed to preach against the church or against the municipal rule. His position of influence was wiped, and he decided to start preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. He promised Florentines that their city, if he was listened to, and obeyed would become the new Jerusalem. He prophesied the death of Lorenzo Medici not too hard because he knew how the Medicis lived. He knew that, by the way, that would be like a roll uh, of the dice and saying anything above three, I'm going to bank my prophecy on. He knew how many of the Medicis had killed each other, first of all, but he also knew how many of the Uh, individuals around in surrounding countries or other lords wanted to have them killed and he also knew how they lived. There's there's a really good chance that they're going to die of some social disease. So he really didn't reach very far by predicting the the death of Lorenzo Medici. But yet people said, oh, this is a man of God. He prophesied that this would happen. Primarily because Girolamo said, remember when I said that makes me a true messenger of God. He then followed up with bold statements that if the people would devote themselves to His ministry, not Christ, but His ministry and message, now watch this, they would become rich, glorious, and powerful. Does that sound like the message of Jesus Christ? The message was counter to His original message. His message changed with the mob for His own benefit and promotion. You see, Rome tolerated Him. The Medicis tolerated him because the people followed him mightily. Because his message initially was from God and it moved within the hearts of people. Remember, his followers were called the weepers. There was true repentance. But his second run, he tasted power. and He didn't want to relinquish that power. So he knew how to preach to power. He knew how to get the crowds back. And now his persecution came from his own agenda. Let me prove that point. The message was counter to his original message. His message changed with the mob for his own benefit and promotion. When at the end, facing trial and torture, it is recorded that he recanted all of his prophecies and teachings and stated that they were made up. Then shortly after they stopped torturing him, he changed his mind and tried to go back and say, oh, no, no, I really did mean those things. So then they said, "Well, fine, then we're going to follow through and you're going to be hung in the town square and then your body is going to be burned. And when he was faced with that, he recanted once again. So he recanted twice. Does that sound like Jesus Christ when asked to give up on being the Messiah? Who do you say I am? Who are you? I am who I am. Pilate saying, do you not know that I have the authority to take your life? You have no authority other than what God has given you. He went like a lamb to the slaughter, Scripture tells us. And even in his death, he looked upon the people and their vileness and their hatred towards him. And in the midst of his persecution, he says to the Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He makes it rain on the just and the unjust. Shortly before being led out to be hung in the piazza of de la sonora he recanted again savonarola was not persecuted for righteousness in my opinion he was persecuted because he wanted glory for himself and found that by being a voice of rebellion for the people against the state and against the church he could earn that reputation it is amazing how the seduction of power leads strong godly leaders away Savonarola is not a hero of the faith, and he was not persecuted for righteousness. Instead, the real Watchman knee. after 20 grueling years in prison, Watchman knee died. When the family was notified the body had already been burned, it had already been cremated, there would be no burial or goodbyes. The lone saving grace was a guard who showed a note to his niece that was in the back of his Bible, actually under his pillow. And then he promptly tore it up. She was determined in the moment to memorize it and share with as many people as she could. Let me read to you what, in his last final hours or minutes, Watchman Nee wanted you to know. What he suffered for 20 years in prison Or 40 years, 20 years of ministry, 20 years in prison. Being persecuted for righteousness. Completely focused on God and Christ. And the glorification of the kingdom, not himself. Before his departure, he left a piece of paper under his pillow, which had several lines of big words written in a shaking hand. He wanted to testify to the truth, which he had even until his death with his lifelong experience. That truth is, and here's what Watchman Nee wrote, Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watchman Nee. If you don't have an immense amount of regard, emotion for what you just heard, then you need to check your heart. Brothers and sisters, what is going on around us is not about us being persecuted for righteousness. The church needs to rise up in righteousness and righteous acts. We will know When we're being persecuted for righteousness and when we are we will be blessed but can i encourage you please pursue with all of your heart that idea so you can be blessed because there is no satisfaction in making enemies with all those around you who hold different opinions there is no value to that you will be persecuted for surreptitious reasons vain reasons that nobody will remember 10 years from now nobody's going to care your political view nobody's going to care about how you felt about covid but you know what just like our student ministries leaders you could change and affect the kingdom of god if you're focusing and you're, you're taking heat and you're moving in a direction so that righteousness can can take place and a life is changed for eternity follow in that pattern following the pattern of Watchman Nee. I wrote a song back in 89. It was goo-goo-ga-ga-goo. No, I'm, I'm much older than that. This song is about, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a snapshot of the world around us. And in the second verse is written, two different men finding two different ways to die. One man lived for the changes in life. The other lived to change lives. You want to know what it means to be persecuted for righteousness. I encourage you, be a person who lives to change lives for the gospel. Not for political reasons. Not for prideful opinion. Not for the sake of winning an argument. But for the sake of the gospel. It would be a privilege to be persecuted for that. Let me close in prayer. Father, we ask that you move in our hearts and in our minds that we would go back and we would look at individuals who got it right, who understood what it meant to have the eternal God come into their life. And the results of their life are profound. Not a story of antiquity. But millions of lives changed and in the kingdom because of a humble individual who died a humble death and never wavered from his belief in you and his joy in you. He truly was blessed. Your son was blessed. Watchman Nee was blessed. Father, you promise us that same blessing. If we are willing to let you work in our lives, work in our minds and hearts that we might truly understand what this looks like and we might practice it moving forward. Especially for me, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.